Heavenly Father, thank you for another Sunday morning that we can get together and learn more in your word. We can dive into the different characters that we find in your word in the Bible and learn from them, learn about who they are and uh, how they reflect you and how hopefully we can reflect you in the same way. God, there's so much to glean out of this holy Bible and I hope that we do. I hope that it benefits us and changes us and as we look at Jesus and his coming, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of that, may we be so consumed in that narrative that we fall in love with who you are and find a way through that to love others all the more powerfully. God, thank you for the missions that we've been doing and thank you for what this church is. God, we give you all the glory for it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, so uh, last week we talked about uh, mothers and Mary and so Dave looked at certain passages about Mary, the mother of Jesus and we talked about that. Today, it's about Joseph, and by extension, fathers, uh, how to be a biblical father, how to be a good father, and, and things like that. So we're going to look a lot of, at Joseph and his life. Um, but, you know, for me, I have to take a certain approach to this, because I'm not a father. So I'm going to take a look at Joseph and how he was the father of Jesus and what that meant. I'm looking at it from a perspective of a son, but not a father. Maybe father one day, who knows, I don't know. Um, but I can still look at the things that Joseph did in his life and what we're going to read in a minute and say, yeah, I want to be like that, even if I never have children of my own. And Joseph was really an adoptive father to Jesus anyways. Um, but yeah, the, we can look at who he was and the types of things that he did and the way he responded to the crazy things that were going on in his life. And I think we can all take something from it. And of course, so last week was on mothers, hopefully fathers, and, and everybody got something out of that. In the same way this week, I hope that all of us, mothers, daughters, brothers, like if you're just a friend to somebody, hopefully you can be like these characters and, and find a way to uh, live your life like God. So anyways, without further ado, let's open up to Luke chapter 2. I just happened to open pretty quickly up to it. Um, I wanted to start with Luke. I was thinking about starting with Matthew, and we will go to Matthew uh, but Luke doesn't have as much to say about Joseph. Um, so we're going to start with Luke and just run through that real quick. And then we're going to jump over to Matthew because Matthew has a lot to say about Joseph. So if you, as you're flipping there to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read just bits and pieces. Um, and as I said, I mean, this is, I'm going to be reading like the classic Christmas story chapters and verses that we've heard a million times. But I want to focus on who Joseph is and his character, I want to talk about specific attributes that he has, and hopefully that all fathers have, and hopefully that we all have. So anyways, in Luke chapter 2, let's start in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor over Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. That's going to be important. We're going to talk about that. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child while they were there. The time came for her to, do, uh, for to, her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Again, 
heard that story a million times. That sort of is the Christmas story, at least the beginning of it. Um, but one thing I notice is I'm looking at Joseph and thinking more deeply about who he is. There's a decree from Emperor Augustus, right? Who's that? Why should Joseph care about a decree from Emperor Augustus? Doesn't sound like a very Jewish name to me. And we know Joseph was a Jew. It says he was from the line of David, right? Well, this, this is interesting, right? So a little bit of backstory. The Greco-Roman Empire has authority in Israel at this time. Uh, Israel is not really an independent country. They're under the rule of these other people, these Greeks and Romans. And so Emperor Augustus, his, his say is law for the Jews, uh, which is kind of weird. We have to be aware of that as we read the New Testament. And so Joseph, being a faithful man, not just to Jewish law and to the Torah, but to like the governing authorities at his time. So, I mean, that's one thing that you notice about Joseph. He's, he's faithful to the law and even the secular law that's governing over him, right? So he's a faithful man. We'll look into more of his faithfulness as we go. But he's faithful, and he does this crazy thing like going all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which isn't a short journey, with his pregnant wife. And they don't really, it's not like, they have like the, the travel websites that we have now where they can book a hotel ahead of time. They just show up and hope that they can. I mean, they don't even have a hospital to go to. There weren't a lot of hospitals back then, but they hopefully can get an inn to have a birth like in at least a somewhat sanitary uh, room, but they, they don't even have that. Um, so this is a radically faithful family who are willing to do some crazy stuff um, and inconvenience themselves for the benefit of this child who they believe is supposed to be the Messiah. So I'm going to skip the shepherds and angels stories um, because we've heard it a million times, and of course I encourage you to read it yourselves. But um, in verse 21, it says, After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And likewise, if we kept reading, and it's a big passage, and I want to get to Matthew as quick as we can, but in the next passage, they take Jesus to the temple, and he's dedicated, and, and we read a little bit of that last week, so I'm comfortable skipping over that. But you see this family, Joseph and Mary, who are having their child circumcised on the eighth day like they should if they're a good Jewish family, right? And they're taking him to the temple to be dedicated. They're obedient to the law given in the Old Testament, and they're willing to make these sacrifices and, and perform these things. So I see these things as attributes of Joseph and Mary as being faithful individuals and willing to make these sacrifices for their child. So now, I think we can get into the good stuff by looking at Matthew. And I say that because, so let's flip over to Matthew chapter 1. Luke really does focus more in Mary's story. If you were to like look at it, uh, Luke is talking a lot about what's happening with Mary, and he talks about how angels appear to Mary, but Matthew looks deeper into Joseph's story, where Joseph has angels appear to him, and I tried to count, it's at least three or four times that angels appear to Joseph, specifically in dreams. It's never like an angel appears to Joseph, like, boom, there's an angel standing before you, and whatever he says, you're obviously going to believe because you're talking to an angel. But it made me wonder, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we read it, but like, how many of us would have a dream about an angel and still think, yeah, that must have been God? Like, I would wake up and be like, what a weird dream. You know, like he kept having, he had at least three or four dreams of angels, but never actually met one like in person kind of, right? But he's still faithful to obey the words of these angels that and hopefully he's not crazy. He's dreaming about angels, but he obeys their word regardless. 
And so, I, so we noticed in Luke that Joseph is the descendant of David, and that's why they had to travel to Bethlehem to be counted properly. But Matthew makes a big stink about this right in chapter 1. Right in chapter 1, Matthew starts with a genealogy, and I won't read that because, again, that's a, you know, a little bit painful to read all these names, um, just for my sake, as much as yours. But, yeah, so Matthew makes a big deal about how Jesus, and by extension Joseph, is descendant of the lineage of David, a descendant of Abraham, and, and, and so he's connecting this to the... If you had read the Old Testament, right, if you're looking at how this book has been canonized, you assume that we've read all these Old Testament characters and we know who they are, and finally we get to the New Testament, and it right from the beginning in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus, the Messiah, is linked to all those people you just read about and, how, and all the cool, amazing things that God was doing in their lives. Jesus is the fulfillment. So this is really, really fascinating to me and, and wonderful, the way Matthew uh, organizes that. But let's skip down into verse 18. <clears throat> Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had come together, right, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until he had born a son and, his name, and named him Jesus. So again, we see Joseph having a crazy encounter with an angel in a dream. So if we're listing different attributes of who Joseph is, prophetic is one of them. Right? He has these angel encounters. I mean, I'd like to see a show of hands how many people have had angel encounters, whether in a dream or in person. I don't know. I've never experienced an angel come to me in a dream and tell me something like, I'm going to have the Godchild, you know. So Joseph is a prophet. He's having these God experiences. And Joseph is obedient to the word of the angel. I mean, we see it in the fact that he named him Jesus, you know, and, and how he didn't divorce Mary. And that part, actually, we could, we could talk a lot about that, how interesting it is. It says that Joseph, being a righteous man, decides to divorce her quietly. But you have to realize the context of what's going on here. It's so much more than just Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to divorce Mary so publicly. Um, because in the Old Testament, if you were caught in the act of adultery, you should be stoned to death. So Joseph is more than just a righteous man. He is a merciful man. He has his, uh, his betrothed pregnant and decides not to have her killed. I mean, that's really what's going on here, because he should have, according to the law, uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want to publicly shame her, her, shame her or anything like that. But he sticks with her when the angel tells her, actually, this is by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's pretty hard to believe. It's scientifically impossible. Joseph doesn't seem to care. Um, so Joseph is, yeah, he's an interesting, amazing guy. And in that, I see Joseph being present. 
I think if we're talking about good attributes of what it means to be a father, and I, as I say, you know, mothers relate to this as well, and wh- whoever you are, however you see yourself in relation to others, um, being present with those whom you relate to, if you are a father, being a present father is so key, right? Um, I'm going to say more on this later, but I have so many friends that never knew their fathers, uh, whether they died when they were young or just were never around. We, we have like an epidemic in our world of absentee fathers that just aren't there. And so we have this guy, Joseph, who's, uh, who's betrothed, is pregnant, and supposedly by the Holy Spirit, I guess, he somehow believes that, even though we probably wouldn't if we're honest with ourselves, and he sticks with her anyways. He decides, like, I'm going to be with this woman, and, and maybe he is the Messiah. I, I can believe that. I'm a faithful Jew. Yeah, we've been waiting for the Messiah. So he sticks with him, even though in today's world, when somebody gets a woman pregnant, the first thought is abortion, let's get rid of it, and then if that doesn't work, I'm going to get the heck out of here, you know? That's the world we live in. That's not Joseph's reality. That's not Joseph's mindset at all. Even though he would have been justified, like I said, at least to have her killed, <laughs> this is publicly humiliating for him. Who's going to believe that she has this baby born of the Holy Spirit? They're going to think that, at the very least, they had premarital sex, and that's not good either. Well, anyways, let's look at Matthew chapter 2 a little bit. The wise men come to visit, and we've, we've read that a bunch as well in the context of the Christmas story. I think in Matthew, really, Matthew is using the wise man story as like a narrative tool to show us what happens next in the story of, of this little family. <clears throat> so if I may, for the context of this sermon, let's skip the, the Magi story a little bit, because, you know, they show up, and King Herod is interested in, in uh, where the Messiah is. <laughs> But check this out in verse 13. It says, Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. That's interesting. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken uh, by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, right, because the wise men uh, went another way home, even though Herod told them, like, tell me where the Messiah is. So Herod was tricked by the wise men. He was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in, in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. And I'll just read this last bit. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel, but... When he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there after being warned in another dream. So I think that's about four dreams now. <clears throat> Joseph has had these encounters. Um, they based, they uh, Let's see. After being warned in another dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made a home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. 
So, you know, again, Matthew, another common theme in Matthew is that he's constantly saying what may be fulfilled by the prophets, right? Like all this is happening so that it could be fulfilled what has been prophesied however many years ago, centuries ago. Well, <clears throat> there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this passage, a lot to break down. Herod wants to kill the Messiah. Why? King Herod, he's the king of the Jews. Shouldn't he be excited that the Messiah is born? Not really. Herod is a false king. He's a fake king really set up by the Greco-Roman Empire. He's like a vassal king, an imposter. He's not really from the line of David. He's not the true heir to the throne. Jesus is. That's why Matthew starts his book with this big, long genealogy, so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the rightful king of the Jews. And so Herod's not, and Herod's threatened by the birth of the Messiah. And Magi from the East know about it, so he pretty convinced that this is him. And so Herod does this horrible, unthinkable thing where he has all the children, two and under, murdered in that whole area. Untold numbers of children that were murdered by this king because he was so threatened by the birth of the Messiah. That's how convinced these people were that what was happening was real. And this is, this is what has been prophesied for all this time. And so that's, in a way, pretty convincing. But Think about the fearlessness that Joseph and Mary must have had to escape and go down to Egypt and the faithfulness to obey the voice of the angels. But I'm looking at Joseph like, man, he, he was not shaken. He fled to Egypt with his uh, new wife and their baby child and went down to Egypt for we don't know how long until Herod died. It could have been years that Joseph and Mary had to hide out. Joseph probably gave up his practice of carpentry and hopefully started a new one in Egypt so he could, like, feed his family. But this is all big, fat question marks in their life. And they don't know how this is going to work out. So think about this if you're a parent, especially if you're a father. Like, you have to give up your job. You have to move to a new place with your newborn child. I mean, this is scary stuff. And Joseph doesn't know how the story ends, right? He doesn't know that one day Herod's going to die and they're going to move back to Nazareth. And we don't really get anything about Joseph and his life beyond Matthew chapter 2 or beyond Luke chapter There's not a lot about Joseph and Jesus' adult life. We do hear about Mary again in uh, Jesus' adult life. But we don't know what happens to Joseph. Maybe Joseph died kind of early on in Jesus' life, and we don't know. We, we can assume that he did teach Jesus some carpentry. He was known for that. Um, so we kind of know that he lived for a little while. But, yeah, there's, there's not a lot there. There's that one story when Jesus was uh, maybe a toddler to a y- y- young child, and he was left at the temple. But there's not a lot to go on with Joseph. But I wanted to preach this sermon because even with the little we have, we see Joseph's presence with his family. He's not a father who flees. He's a father who's present. He's stuck around. It's kind of like God, right? I look at God and think, Yeah, God's the creator of the world, but he doesn't really need to give a hoot about us. Just because God created the world doesn't mean he needs to stick around. And that's true for fathers today. Just because most men have the ability to create children, but not a lot of them stick around. God didn't need to stick around, but he did. Joseph didn't need to stick around, but he did. This is our inspiration. This is our true north, looking at fathers like this to say, yeah, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to be a present father. Maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I'm going to screw up my child a little bit. Maybe I I, I teach him the wrong things, and I'm not that great of a father, but at least I'll be there. I mean, I want to encourage you fathers and everybody else, like, just be there. 
You know, that is one of the most important things. And we see in Joseph, coupling his willingness to stick around is his faithfulness. Faithfulness to the word of God. We see him being a Torah keeper. But we also see him being obedient to the governing authorities. We see him being obedient to the prophecies he's, he's seeing from these angels. So he's a faithful man. What better thing, I don't know what your relationships are with your fathers, if they were present or not, or if you have a good relationship with them or not, but what if your father was present and a faithful man of God? I mean, how would that have changed your life? Hopefully for the better. I mean, I can't think of much better for a young child who's growing up to have a father who's not only there, but a faithful man of God. And not only that, but Joseph is fearless and sacrificial. Like I said, he moved to Egypt probably gave up his practice, had to change his life radically for the benefit of his child when it really didn't benefit him at all. It's not even really his kid. It's God's kid. It's Mary's kid. It's not my kid. I could leave. You know, Mary will do fine, I'm sure. They'll figure it out, right? That's the attitude that we have today. We have today, man, so many of the fathers that just don't stick around. So, with this, I'm, I'm thinking about how we can change our lives to be more like him. And I just, it's simple mimicry of who Joseph was and, by extension, who God is, because Joseph is really just modeling who God is to us. God is present. God is faithful. God is sacrificial, right? Um, but, I, I, but I'm left with the question, what would our world look like if all fathers stuck around if all fathers were present fathers like Joseph, who were willing to make sacrifices for their children and inconvenience themselves, um, when there are other options, you could, you could leave, you could abort, you know. I don't want Christians especially to see that as an option. I really don't. Um, but being faithful men and women of God to be there for your children and to raise them up in the truth of God, that's the type of person we see Joseph being. And he wasn't there for a while. You don't know when your number's up. I, I kind of tend to think, there's a lot of scholars who tend to think that Joseph probably did die young, uh, or at least young in Jesus' life. But if you're there and you have an impact on your child, it doesn't matter how much time you got to spend with them. It doesn't matter um, uh, if you were perfect or not. But if you were there and you got to teach them about God and how to be a young adult, then that's all you can really hope for. So I, I want to use that to encourage us fathers. Be there for your children. Be a man of God. Show them. And women too, you know, mothers being present, mothers being caring is so important. So I see that reflected in God, and uh, that's just what I wanted to preach this morning. So I'm going to close in prayer and thank God. God, we want to thank you for being present in our lives, for being a father, a heavenly father to us that is always there, even though we mess up and we, we drive you away with our horrible sinfulness, which we do have. We, you, should, you should just get out. You should just abort this world and forget about us like a failed experiment. But you don't. You don't, God. You stuck with us. You're faithful to us. You're faithful to keep your promises. You're faithful to give us this Holy Bible and have it translated in so many languages so that we can read it and understand who you are and who these people were and hopefully reflect them in some meaningful way. I hope to be more like Joseph in my life, even though I'm not a father, and I hope that everybody in this room can say the same thing. I want to be there. I want to stick around, even if it's just for my friends. I want to be a good friend and be there. God, help us to be like that and to be like Jesus in the same way who was always there for his disciples day in and day out who was willing to sacrifice literally everything 
on the cross for us. God, we are so inspired by what we read in your text, and we want to change our lives as a result. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.